uh, church today online, we would love to have a thousand kids just filling this campus and running around and learning about Jesus. And so if you're interested, get your kids signed up, get your neighbor kids signed up, get the kids that, that go to the school signed up, get every single kid in Rowlett, Saxe, Wiley, surrounding community signed up. Amen? All right. Vacation Bible School. Well, I think it's very serendipitous that today is both Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day uh, because it provides us some really good fodder for discussion. Uh, first, honestly, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of being a fool. Uh, I don't think any of us are. I don't think we like to be labeled fool, uh, a fool. I don't even like to act the fool. I, I don't like having the wool pulled over my eyes. I don't like having yoke on my face. It is never fun to be the butt of somebody else's joke. Well, that's a lesson that a couple of radio stations recently in a restaurant chain have come to discover in fact, that lesson has come to bite them in the, well, you can fill in the rest of the sentence. So one radio station uh, out in California ran the, the, Hummer, uh, the Hummer contest where the winner, uh, 100th caller or whatever, would take home a new Hummer. And so the contestant called in, was the 100th caller. She's excited. I can't believe it. And, and the guy's like, all right, come on down to the studio. Come pick up your prize. And so she goes down there expecting to hop on her new ride, and she's handed a box with a toy Hummer in it. That Hummer became a actual bummer for that radio station who ended up paying big for that. Another radio station out in Tennessee ran the 100 grand contest. The 10th caller would win 100 grand. And as you think about that, that's life-changing money. I mean, how excited would you be to win 100 grand? And she's excited and telling the guy, I can't believe I won. And come on down and pick up your check. And, and so she gets down there. And, and in fact, it wasn't a check. It was a 100, 100 grand candy bar. They're still talking about that one in court. And then the final example of how we don't like to be the butt, we always like to enjoy a joke at somebody else's expense, but a restaurant chain ran a sales promotion where the, the winning waitress would win a brand new Toyota. And so this, this waitress won. She worked diligently and hard and set sales records. And then came the time for the grand presentation, and she was handed a Toyota, like the little figurine. Star Wars? Yeah, she can now afford any Toyota she wants. Each of these illustrate the reality that it's fun to laugh at other people, but we hate to be the butt of the joke ourselves. Nobody wants to be the fool. Nobody. Which raises a very interesting question. Are we fools? And what I mean by that, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins... Are we really fools who believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and has risen from the dead? We actually believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead and is alive right now. Are we fools for believing that? Uh, culture uh, at large would say yes. Academia calls our faith a crutch for weak minds. Atheism calls it a fable. Science calls it unverifiable impossibility. Famed late theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking calls, calls the hope of all Christians a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Some would argue that the message of Jesus is the greatest practical joke ever unleashed on a fooled humanity. And again, nobody likes to be the fool. Are we really fools 
for believing in what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Well, let's talk about that. First, we do know that Jesus died. Nobody really argues against that. I mean, the brutality of Rome is downright historical, and so is the historical suffering of Jesus and the reality that all people die. We have plenty of extra biblical evidence for the historical Jesus. In fact, that is the content in religion courses at our local junior colleges and universities. It is the, the content of discussion on the History Channel, and it's found in magazine covers that are checkout lines at grocery stores. We know that Jesus lived, and we know that Jesus died. In fact, all four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, clearly record that Jesus was brutally flogged. He was beaten and crucified, and, and there he hung on the cross for a total of six hours where he spoke seven final statements. It's on that cross where Jesus breathed his last. We have eyewitness testimony. We know that for good measure, a Roman spear was shoved into his side, penetrating his heart to ensure that he was truly dead. Yes, we know that Jesus died. He was taken down from the cross and he was buried in the tomb of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. But honestly, in every single person's mind of that, of that experience, of, of the passion of Christ, everyone expected the story to stop right there. No one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. No one. Not the religious elite of Jerusalem, not the controlling and occupying power of Rome, not even his closest friends and followers. Because no one gets up from a beating like that. Even though Jesus all along was telling his disciples exactly what was going to happen. His death was only going to be the beginning of the story. His death would be brutal but brief. In fact, his burial would be ultimately interrupted. The religious elite would place an armed guard around the outside of the tomb because they wanted to keep people from breaking in and stealing his body. They never considered the fact that he was going to rise from within. They never considered the reality of the words that he spoke. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, encapsulates kind of a theme of Jesus with his disciples. Multiple times, early from his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, and at the end of his ministry, he kept telling his disciples, like, hey guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world. I'm going to be brutally treated, flogged, crucified. I'll be buried, but it's okay because I'll be raised on the third day. And one particular discussion, Peter steps up and goes, not so, Lord. In his mind, he couldn't wrap his mind around the reality that his master, his leader, the guy he had left all to follow was going to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. Everyone was scratching their head. They're like, what does that mean? What does it mean, rise? In Matthew 20, right before, I mean, just footsteps away from the cross, it says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way up to him, he said, okay, fellas, here's the deal. We're going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They're going to condemn me to death. They're going to deliver me over to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked and flogged and crucified. Uh, but it's okay, guys. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And in that particular passage, it says that the disciples didn't get it. 
He couldn't have been clearer. He's like, look, I'm going to be taken into custody. I'm going to be condemned. I'll be handed over to the, the Gentiles. I'll be flogged and crucified. I'll, I'll die. I'm going to physically die. But I'm going to raise the third day. But they didn't get it. Nobody believed him. Why? Why did nobody believe him? Why? I'm, I'm just curious. Why didn't anybody believe him? Because nobody gets up from the dead. In fact, that is almost a direct quote from a most recent article in Scientific American who is discussing the resurrection of the approximately 100 billion people, kind of an exaggerated number, I think, but who have lived before us, all have died, and none have returned. Except for one. See, if people don't rise from the dead, then Jesus himself hasn't risen from the dead. And if Jesus has not risen from the dead, family, as Christians, we are fools. A dead Jesus cannot save. Jesus did not come to teach the golden rule. He didn't bill himself as a good teacher or a wise philosopher. He called himself the Son of God, born of a virgin, the long-prophesied and promised Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. He made himself equal with God. He stated that he was going to die for the sins of the world and then rise again, and all who would believe in him would be saved and also be raised from the dead. Listen up, family. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he is not the Lord. He is a liar. Or just a complete lunatic. And as believers in him, Paul says, we're not just fools. We're in fact people that are pathetic to be pitied. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through 19, Paul discussing this very question, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That means empty. It does not have substance. It cannot save you. You are still in your sins. Verse 18, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, those who have died believing in Christ and been buried, that's their final parking spot. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus does not rise, there's no forgiveness of sins. We are literally left to scavenge earth looking for some other hope. You might as well as enroll in that religion's course and just pick one. And in the end, you'll be left ultimately hopeless, starving, and thirsty. If the only benefit that we get from Jesus is in this life, I'm going to say this. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of incredible benefits to being a, a believer in Christ in this life. But if truth be told, if this is it, it's the worst ride ever. Like, as I think about it, here's the reality. Adulting, a beatdown. Anybody testify to that? Adulting is a beatdown. I love my kids. They're like, oh, I can't wait one day, Daddy. I'm going to be an adult. I'll get to eat whatever I want. I'm like, that's the only perk. And then you spend all your time worried about eating whatever you want. Uh, if this is all there is, you know, truth be told, I want a refund. Because here's the deal. 
There are great things in this life, but the, the large chunk of our existence, if you boil it all down, it's a large grind. And Paul kind of picks up on this. He's like, look, I'm literally facing death for this message. I'm willing to give up my life for it. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, well, let's hear his quote. Let's hear him talk. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30. He's like, why are we in danger every hour? It's like, why am I going through this exercise? Put my life on the line for Jesus. I protest, brothers, by the pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? Humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. We're getting persecuted out here. If the dead are not raised, he's like, let's just throw a big giant party. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's like the ultimate swan dive into the pool of hopelessness. Party like there's no tomorrow. Because if Jesus hasn't risen, there really isn't a tomorrow. Not in the eternal sense. In fact, if Jesus hasn't risen, there is no hope. There's no forgiveness and no mercy. There's no grace. There's no salvation. There's no substance or true foundation for love. Well, just as all four Gospels tell us of Jesus' death and burial, all four Gospels boldly testify to the impossible. All four Gospels record what no one else was expecting. His resurrection. No one expected it. Not the religious leaders of Jerusalem, not the controlling and occupying power of Rome, not even his closest followers believed that Jesus would rise from the dead, which, by the way, is great evidence that the veracity or truth of this historical account. Some have argued that the Bible uh, has been the manufacturing, uh, fabricating work of some of Jesus' early followers who just didn't want the party to stop, and so they wrote this story to keep the, keep the Jesus train going. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no one... I mean no one who would intentionally write the story this way if it wasn't truth. Here's a couple of thoughts. As we read the account, Jesus' closest followers, and I'm speaking specifically of the guys, they come across like total knuckleheads. Okay, they, they proclaim to be bold. They don't fight for Jesus. They all flee. They go into hiding once he's arrested. Even his closest and esteemed follower, this guy by the name of Peter, swore. He swore, I will go to death with you. I will not deny you. I will die before I do that. Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times. I'll never do that. Denies him three times. I don't even know the guy. And the only people who go to the tomb on Sunday morning, roughly 2,000 years, are there any ladies in the house? Can I, hear you? Can I just hear you holler, ladies? Y'all the heroes of the story. Nobody goes to the tomb on Sunday morning, well, first, those who do go to the tomb, interestingly enough, are all women. They are the first to see the resurrected Jesus. They are first to proclaim his rising from the dead, which if this was a fabrication from the first century, it would not be written that it was women who were first to see, touch, and proclaim the resurrected Jesus. And what's fascinating to me is that the only people that come to the tomb that morning, they weren't expecting to, to meet the resurrected Jesus. They were going there to embalm him for his ultimate resting and death. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 
It says, on the first day of the week, at a Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, at early dawn, and so this is the Sunday following Friday where Christ was crucified and buried in the tomb, they went to that tomb. And they took with them spices that they had prepared. Why did they bring spices, family? To embalm, because bodies stink. Okay, so they came to embalm him in burial spices that they'd prepared, and they found the stone rolled away. That's odd. And so as they look inside the tomb, verse 3, they, they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. In other gospel accounts, they started to worry, and they started to fret, thinking, somebody came and stole his body. Verse 4, it says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, i.e. angels, stood beside them in dazzling apparel. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. Dazzling. Verse 5, And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said, the most ironic statement in human history, high irony, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's a really good question. In fact, verse 6, he's not here, but he is risen. So the angel's like, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and on the third day rise. In verse 8, they're like, oh yeah! We remember that! Hey, ladies, y'all remember that? He did say that, didn't he? In verse 9, in returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. I love the guys here. They're just faith giants. I mean, they're just... The pinnacle of faith here. Uh, verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women, they told these things to the apostles. How did the apostles respond? Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, sounded like a fairy tale, and they did not believe them. In fact, uh, Peter rises up, he runs to the tomb, he's the only one, he's running over there, Another account, John's with him. They stoop, they look in, they see the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why was there linen in there? Because he took off death's clothing and put on his eternal robes, John 20. That night, the disciples got together. They're hiding, most likely in the upper room. On that Sunday evening... It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. Why are the doors locked? For fear. Because they realized that their, their Lord, their master, they were they're so associated with Jesus. And if they treated Jesus to a cross, they themselves would be destined to suffer. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, you knuckleheads, I can't believe you didn't believe. I told you multiple times that I was going to rise from the dead. Why didn't you believe me? You know, some of us believe that if Jesus was to speak to you audibly right now, he would give you like a guilt and shame message. That's not what he said. What did he speak over his disciples who were in great fear, great anxiety, their greatest hope, disappointed, they were lost? He says, peace. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why? Why does he show them his hands? The what? Showing him the holes. Jesus physically rose from the dead. Years ago, I was working at a deli counter in San Diego, and a couple came in 
uh, hearing impaired, and I saw them motioning to each other, and I, and I was spending time trying to communicate with them. I had learned a little bit of sign language, uh, enough to make them laugh, <laughs> my inability to really sign that well. We were having a good conversation, and I started to tell them about Jesus, and the guy goes, oh, the guy with the holes in his hands. Yeah, I've heard of him. Jesus shows them his hands. He's like, here's, here's the payment. I've made payment. It is finished. It's paid in full. And he shows them his side where the spear entered in. And I love the understatements of the Bible. This is like giant. Then the disciples were, they were glad. That's what the text says. I think they were kind of beyond glad. I mean, I'm glad when like, I take out the trash and somebody puts a new trash can liner in. That makes me glad. I am glad when I order a sandwich and I get an extra pickle. When I am standing in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, the one with those holes in his hand, I think I'm a little beyond glad. I think at that moment their, their brains are firing and the circuits are shorting and, and they're seeing the Lord. Well, it turns out, I love this, this particular night, one disciple was not among them. Uh, in fact, a guy by the name of Thomas, who gets picked on a lot, he's kind of like the butt of all jokes, the historical jokes, of, oh, I can't believe he didn't believe. He's called Doubting Thomas, which is an interesting moniker considering all of them were doubters. In fact, I think we all start off there. We're all doubters. We're all skeptics. We're all questioners. Until we ultimately place our trust in Christ. But he is the voice of a skeptic of every generation. He needed empirical evidence. He's like, unless I see, unless I touch, I will not believe. Verse 24 through 25 of John 20 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, that is Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they're like, look, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, yeah, I saw him too. He was crucified a few days ago. Taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. Yeah, I saw him. No, 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 no. We've seen him. We've seen the holes. We've seen him. And, and this is how Thomas responded. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. I think some of us may be here this morning and that might be your sentiment. I need to see him. I need proof. I need to touch the nail marks. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were again inside. Thomas did not skip this particular prayer meeting. He was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, fascinating, Jesus had heard every word. Thomas, here I am. Place your fingers here. Reach out your hand and place it in my side. Stammering Thomas, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Jesus, do not disbelieve, but believe. To which Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. The moment we truly see him. You've truly risen from the dead. Well, here's the reality. For a period of 40 days, Jesus did some pretty incredible things for a dead guy. 
Uh, he had breakfast on the beach with some of his disciples. He had some fish sticks with another group. He met with a group of followers on mountaintops. He was seen by over 500 people. Before he ascended into heaven, was ultimately exalted, he commissioned his followers to share the message of resurrection. And I'll tell you, if you read the Gospels into the book of Acts, you see a dramatic difference. Something so radically happened in the life of the disciples and the apostles, they went from hiding, terrified, in fear, anxiety, and hopelessness to bold proclaimers of Jesus. Many willing to face death. People don't do that for dead people. But they were willing to do it for Christ because they had seen him. Family, Jesus has risen from the dead. It is hard historical fact. For 2,000 years, that reality has stood in the face of unbelievable skepticism and criticism. You can search the tombs of earth. You'll never find his remains. It is not something that is made true because we believe it. I hear people say that. Well, whatever is true to you is true to you. I mean, it's true because you believe it. No, 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 no. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true because we believe it. Jesus has risen from the dead, whether we believe it or not. He is risen. Now what we do with it, that is truly the crux of the matter, isn't it? The spread of the message was never about a new religion. Jesus was the long-promised, long-promised fulfiller of all that God had planned to do. And Jesus' true life is proclaimed and in him is received. And so this morning, I'm going to just simply proclaim to you the message that has been proclaimed from the very, very beginning. And I hope this is an encouragement to you who are believers in Christ. Part of my heart this morning is just to encourage you as the saved. Your faith has substance. But I also want to challenge you who do not believe we're present here this morning. Challenge you to the reality that Jesus Christ did die on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and he has been raised. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. He's like, look guys, I want to remind you brothers and sisters. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's like, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached to you which you received uh, in which you stand. And he's like, in verse 3, he's like, I delivered to you the message I've received. And so I, Chris Carroll, am delivering to you the message I've received. And here's the message. As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the promises of the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according with the Scriptures. This is all fulfillment of what had been promised. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And Paul's like, look, we have eyewitnesses. And then verse 7, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says he also appeared to me. He says he appeared to all as one untimely born. He also appeared to me. Paul's like, I'm the least of everybody. I was a persecutor and murderer of Christians, and Jesus appeared to me. I have seen him. And you know what, family? I can tell you personally. I have seen the resurrected Jesus. Not with my physical eyes, but with eyes of faith. 
I've never needed to touch the nail marks. But I can say this, here I am. I'm an unworthy man. I'm deserving of judgment, yet instead I've received grace. I had two ultimate destinations early on. I was either headed for prison or an early grave. But in Christ, I've been given a life worth living. And I can, without hesitation, tell you that you are loved. Like, no matter what you've done or where you've been, what's going on in your mind right now, you are loved. The Father loves you. So much so, he gave his only son. In fact, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. See, for me, my stumbling stone was my earthly father. I only knew a father who took, but now I came to discover there is a a father who gives. And he gives of himself. He gives of his only son that all who work harder, all who are good people, like making sure our our good works outpace our bad works, all who keep the Ten Commandments, all who recycle, no, all who believe, will not perish, that is eternally perish, but will have everlasting life. Love is what has motivated, it all, uh, motivated everything. And so let's go back to the original question. Are we really fools? According to the unbelieving world, yes, we are. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross, it's, it's foolishness, it's folly. To those who are perishing in the unsaved world, they look in, they're like, what? Come on, wait, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? You're telling me you believe that there is a God who has created it all. That he created humanity to have a personal relationship with him. Hey, wait, you believe that we're all suffering the consequences of sin because of this, like, so-called Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden who sinned against God, and, and now we are all under the penalty of sin? Wait, you believe that? You, okay, so you believe that God, this God then sent his only son, this, this Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, who was, like, born of a virgin, who came and died uh, on the cross— after he lived a sinless life and he's risen from the dead, and you believe that you have eternal life through him. Wait, you believe that he leads you and that you hear from him like you hear from him? You should probably be institutionalized, right? You're hearing things? You're telling me that you believe that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And the response to that is, yes, I do. With every fiber of my being. It is a message that I have not only received and placed my whole entire life in the hands of Christ. I've placed my whole family. My whole eternal destiny is based on the reality that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried, and he has risen. He is alive. And he's not only alive, he is exalted. And not only is he exalted, he is waiting for every man, woman, and child on earth to proclaim him as king. And he will return. And so, yes, I believe 
Yes, Jesus has saved my life. And you know what? I would rather be a fool in the world's eyes than be a fool in the eyes of God. Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. It is a foolish thing. It is also a foolish thing to not believe that in Jesus there is hope. And so to you, believer in Jesus today, I speak to you first. Be a fool for Christ. Be sold out. Your faith has substance. We do not need to cower to a culture that is perishing, that rejects the cross, that is no reason for us to behave timidly or passively. We can boldly proclaim that we are not ashamed of the gospel, that it is the power of salvation to all who believe. You can stand firm on that. You can build your life on that. You can build your eternity on that. And then for you, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, please just hear me out. Sounds kind of funny. I, I mean, I guess I'm inviting you to like come be fools with us. <laughs> like in the world's eyes. The world may mock and they may laugh and criticize, but here's the reality. In Christ, you'll have real life, abundant life, eternal life. You will, for the first time in your life, walk in the love of God that he has for you. You will be at peace with God and he will be at peace with you. Your name will be inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. You may breathe your last in this life, but you'll take your first breath in eternal life. And so please hear this. Jesus Christ did die for your sins on the cross. He was buried. And he has risen from the dead and he is alive right now. And he's listening. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we speak to you directly because you live and you hear. Not just our words, but our hearts. To you who do not know Jesus uh, as your personal Savior, I want you to please just listen. Jesus did die for your sins. He was buried and he's risen. The Bible proclaims all who believe in him, trust in him, and turn to him will be saved, forgiven, walk in his love. And so if that is you today, you want to receive Jesus as your Savior in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. I believe you've raised. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, you've just passed from death to life from blindness to sight. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. You are now forever a son or daughter of God and nothing, I mean nothing, can pry you from his grip. You are loved. And for you who are a believer, Lord Jesus, I pray encouragement for each one. 
that we as your followers, as your loved, we would be encouraged, emboldened, not timid, not hiding, but resolute, that you have risen and you love the world. May we with boldness and compassion proclaim your word to a generation that is dying without you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. Because it's time. It's time for us to go into the world in peace. And we're going to send you out dancing, by the way. Because this is Resurrection Sunday. Did y'all know that? If we're going to get excited about anything, let it be this day. We're going to the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace and goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. To we meet again. Same time, same place next week. And family, do not forget, you are loved. Now go proclaim to the world, go declare to the world that they are too. And let's rock this place. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>